Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. Now we are continuing a series that we started a while ago on First Peter. We're doing expository preaching as opposed to topical preaching. We're working our way through the book of First Peter. And uh, we're up to chapter 4. And we're looking at verse 7. We're going to read through to verse 11. It says, the end of all... Th-, and I'm reading from the ESV. So I'm not sure what we've got coming up there. Yes, we do have. Fantastic. So... Uh, The end of all things is at hand. It says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, so we're just going to unpack this. The first verse, I want you to go no further than to notice that it says, The end of all things is at hand. That's kind of sobering, isn't it? And Peter didn't know when Jesus was coming back, and neither do we, but he did know when he wrote this that the world would end someday, that time is finite, and that Jesus had promised to come back, and so therefore we need to live ready for Jesus to return at any time. So this is a good yet sobering thought, that we have to be prepared, and as a result we should appreciate every day we've got because there's no guarantee about tomorrow. And, uh, and so we are called to live well, to make the most of our life and embrace every moment. You hear people say, you've only got one life. And that is related to this. It's incredibly true. And we, we say it, we hear it, but are we living with that awareness? Because the Bible says it's appointed for man to live once and after that, the judgment. In other words, there's no reincarnation You don't get to rewind and start. It's not a video game where you can sort of spawn again, you know, if you die and morph into another little guy on the screen, little halo dude or whatever. We're in time with one life, one shot, and and, and there's, there's many things in our lives that we can replace. You know, things wear out. I want new shoes. Great. Get some new shoes. Try, you know, new clothes, fashion, oh, the car, get a new car, get this. You can't, you can't change lives. You can't, you know. And sometimes we feel like we wish we could. Oh, gee, I wish I could live that person. Swap with them. But this is it. This is our one go, one shot at it. And it's amazing, given that, that People spend so much time thinking and planning and deciding about things that really don't matter that much and then neglect things that have eternal weight and importance. And so you can fuss and figure all about the latest clothing look that you want or the food that you're going to eat and then you're just 
completely disregarding the fact that you're not going to be here on this earth in 150 years. And so where will you be? Where are you heading? And, uh, and so it's amazing how the Bible is good for us if we take time to read everything it says and not just skip over and yeah, whatever and just get along with our life and all its incidentals and trivial things that take our attention, but to consider, wow, yeah, life is, you know, not going to last forever and I'm going to either die or Jesus is going to come back. One of the two is going to happen first. They're both going to happen eventually. And, uh, and so the decision-making, I don't know if you're old enough, some of you aren't. I look, you know, jealously at young people. But then I look beyond them and, and, and then see friends in the next row and I relate. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you, Craig. I reckon, Craig, you when you were a kid, you couldn't buy or you didn't buy lollies in big bags for several dollars like the kids do now. But that there was probably a shop where there was one and two cent lollies or three a cent or four aniseed balls were four a cent when I was a kid. And you'd sit there, stand there. For us, before and after school, Smith's Toy Store patient old Mr. and Mrs. Smith would stand there dispensing the lollies as kids would come in with their five cents or their ten cents and they'd carefully consider what to buy and how important did it seem at the time and you'd be like oh mustics they're two oh they've gone up to two cents a cobbers are two cents now they used to be a cent oh no but jelly babies and they were the ones that doctor who had you know the white stuff on the outside oh no oh and i what do i and the worst was when kids didn't do the math and you'd be all crowding around waiting for your turn and there'd be this little kid going and i have two of them and one of them and they'd say the classic how much have I got left? I'll be like, oh, no, didn't you figure it out? You waited for 10 minutes. Couldn't you figure the two of them? I've got all. And then you'd be there waiting for them. you feel like, oh, look, oh, just let me give them the 10 cents worth of mixed ollie bag. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want that. I've got to make my decisions, you know. And but do you, does anyone relate? Well, it, you know, 40, 50 years later, it doesn't really matter whether you bought the mustic or the teeth or the aniseed, spearmint, whatever, and yet some of the decisions that we focus on today, even if it's a big one like a house, a thousand years from now, that's nothing in eternity. It doesn't matter what house you lived in. It's as silly as fussing about the aniseed balls. Amen. Anyway, <laughs> enough about lollies, but you hear what I'm saying. It's, uh, I'm just um, making the point that um, right there, the end of all things is at hand. It could be tomorrow, it could be a thousand years, it could be anything in between, but the end comes, we've got to live prepared to meet. And the good thing is, as a Christian, the end of the world is not something to be afraid of. Armageddon, you know, all the movies, the end of the world, uh, even the preachers in the movies. Isn't it sad that preachers never get presented as normal people? In movies, they're either weirdos who are pedophiles or are they white-haired guys with pickets? The end of the world is nigh, uh, preaching on the street corner. Christian, or they're wusses. Thanks, Joe. Great. Another, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. But, but we're changing that, aren't we? We're working on changing that image. Yeah, right. Um, so, um, so, you know, as Christians, we can be uh, anticipating Jesus coming back because it says that he's coming back for his bride and there's going to be a wonderful marriage between the bride, his church that you're a part of and Jesus. And so we need not be afraid and he's got it all under control, whether it's the issue of nuclear armaments or global warming or not enough ice for the 
polar bears or, you know, Jesus has got it all under control. Uh, so we're going to be here for a while, aren't we? That was just seven words and uh, we've got a few. Therefore, he says in the next, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. In other words, given this weighty concept that you're living with a view to eternal perspective, make use of the power of prayer. Stay strongly connected to God through your prayers for your own sake, but also employ the authority of the name of Jesus and use the power of prayer. Be sober, he says, self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. In other words, so that your prayers aren't a waste of time. So if you're not seriously praying, you're not sober-minded, you're not maybe employing some self-control in your prayers, your prayers can just be pretty useless. Who knows that experience where you think, right, I'm really going to pray, and you start praying, and then you see something on the desk that you think, I should attend to that, and you notice, and then you find something here that needs tidying up, and then that thing should be in the kitchen, so you go into the kitchen to put it down, I'll get back to prayer, but oh, now I'm in the kitchen, I better do this, and oh, there's the shopping list, and the next thing, and you can easily get distracted, and uh, and nothing's changed from back then, I mean, we've got, oh, but entertainment options and technology, well, they didn't have a lot of that, and yet he's still writing 2,000 years ago, human nature's the same, looking for a distraction from the discipline of prayer doesn't mean that it's always hard yakka, but there's something about just leaning in that he's talking about here, being a little serious and sober-minded and saying, yes, okay, I, I will pray more than just, oh, God, bless me as I race out the door, but just a, a concerted effort towards God, yeah, and to pray, God, you know, you, here's your word and this is his situation and that's that person and I'm just praying more than just, oh, follow me around, God, but God, let me follow you in my prayer and find out what you want and pray for that and push into that. And then he flows into talking about some behaviours that we should work on. And the first one, of course, applies to all of us in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Or let me read it to you from the Amplified Version. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. It forgives and disregards the offences of others. You know, the covering of sin, that's a quote from Proverbs 10 verse 12, that love is not saying that the sin isn't there, it's just that you're disregarding the sin. Love is, is causing you not to notice it's, it loves allowing you to, to cover over someone's offense or something that they did that could hurt you or upset you or that was wrong. Love is saying, let's just not focus on that. Let's not, just not worry about that. And of course, we do cover things up in, in life. You know, we, you might have a blemish and you get the cover stick out or you're covering over. People are coming, quick, throw the bed cover over the messy bed or the, the lounge cover. Quick, get the bed cover, put it on the lounge. You know, it's a new lounge look. Haven't you seen? You know, it's just cover over or you're you know covering your body with clothing that helps uh you know and sunscreen and hats for those of us who need it you know with the sun uh so it's it's normal to cover stuff but but something in us if it's other people's faults we like to do the opposite there's something in us that wants to uncover it and it's just uh it's just not loving 
You know, if you imagine if you come to church and someone sort of goes, "Hey, hey, hey, that, you got, you got, look, he's got cover up. He's used his wife cover. He's got a big pimple. Look at the pimple. Ah, you know, he's well, he's going to flatten me, but or at least he's not going to come back, or he's going to be upset. It's just not loving. And yet, something in us, maybe it's not directly to that person. What's worse is if you're talking to somebody else about that person's pimple, figuratively speaking. You know, not. And so uh, love here, we're told, covers. Doesn't say it's not there. We're all sinners. We're all made mistakes. But we're just not focusing on it. We're allowing our love to just not focus in on it. And, uh, and notice that just like prayer, that love really requires some discipline because we're told there, love earnestly or intensely, or with unfailing love. The Greek word comes from another root Greek word that means with intent. So it's not just a fleeting feeling of love. Oh, I feel like loving this person, but not that one. No, real love has intent. I intend to love. I, I intend to carry an attitude of forgiveness. I intend to cover over that person's sin and not expose it. I'm carrying that intent to believe the best in people. And so there's some willpower there, isn't there? Not just a a feeling that conveniently comes and goes. And, of course, the Bible says a lot about love. And if we're not careful, we'll read those passages and just read over, oh, love, love the Lord and love everybody. But it says a lot for a real reason that we are not always naturally inclined to go there and, and we need to attend to that. And then flowing out of that love is another specific that applies to all of us. In verse 9, it says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I mean, hospitality is really highly valued in God's eyes, and we see that in the Bible many times. But isn't it interesting, even back then, people were grumbling and complaining about hospitality, which, again, is just not a good deal. You know, again, in church life, Dale, I'm picking on you again. Oh, all right. I guess you should come over for lunch because it's time that we should have you over. So when when you're coming, can you not stay long? Because you know, and don't don't talk to me when you come over because I'll be watching the footy. And uh, but you know, and can you bring some food and can you keep it quiet? And it's just not a great invite, is it? Hey, I'm coming. You're just not going to bother. And yet, so obviously, if you're going to show hospitality, you want to do a good job and not complain about it, and it makes a big difference if it's done well. Good hospitality, a tidy home, a clean home, some nice decor, some nice candles or a table set, and, uh, and some nice food helps. And, uh, and you think, think of some of the best times in your life, and some of those times will have been because of good hospitality. Friendly people and food put together well, whether it's in a cafe or a restaurant or in their home or a picnic, some care, some thought, some love, in a practical way, putting together some hospitality situation. And of course, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to think, oh, well, I can't do it because I haven't got a fancy house or a lot of money for fancy food. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs uh, 15, 17, better a small meal of vegetables with love than the fatted calf with hatred. Of course, vegetarians might think, well, love or hatred, that's the meal I want. But a meat eater would be finding that a sacrifice. What? No meat. But still better to just have veggies and a good atmosphere. 
And we discovered that in the early 90s in Russia, where food was scarce and quality food was even harder to find. And yet the people there who were just embracing the Christians who were getting saved and and so excited about the freedom that they had to worship. They, they used to have to meet out in the forest under the communist regime. And then it was just the year or so before we arrived to live there in St. Petersburg that there was freedom. And so now they could worship. You know, they used to, they used to go mushroom picking every Sunday. They'd say, we're going mushroom picking. And all these Christians would be out in the forest on the weekends, mushroom picking. They were exchanging little scraps of scripture because you'd get five years in jail for owning a Bible. And they were just so, and they'd have little quick prayer huddles while they're picking their mushrooms out in the forest. All that, now they were, and things that we take for granted, they were first allowed to have worship services. So they were excited and they'd have us in their homes. And some of, some of those homes were group homes, forced what used to be one house for one family had been split up. So a whole family would get one room and they would share the kitchen and the bathroom with strangers. There's three or four families in this one place. And we'd come and huddle in this little room and, and, and they'd bring out what they had was their best, which wasn't that great sometimes. I mean, it's trendy now to have sugar-free food. I went to a cafe a couple of days ago and to try and get something sweet afterwards. They go, well, that's sugar-free. All right, what about this one? Well, that's dairy-free. Well, that one's gluten-free. I said, I want something that's gluten, dairy, sugar, plus. <laughs> Can you help me? I mean, uh, you know? And, the f- and fat. Well, fat's part of the flavour. Give it to me. I don't want a lot. I just want a little bit, but I want it to taste good. I don't want to waste my taste buds on something that's like sugar-free. And get, you know, it's like I can go out and eat dirt. I mean, that's probably nutritious. I didn't say that to them, but I, I, I tend to, I do give it to them sometimes in these cafes. Everything's like X this, none of that. I think, okay, it's fine. Have the non-options, for, but give me something that's, okay. Sorry. I should have gone back to Smith's Lolly Shop. They were still there. Get some lollies. Uh, but, you know, the Russians, they were setting the trend. We had cakes with sh- no sugar. They were, they, they were trendsetters because they had no sugar. And that we had sausages and there was more white than pink. It was like more fat than pink. They didn't have any meat. Anyway, we had some wonderful times. And there's um, not just nice memories. You know, lives have really changed. Things really happen. Ministry really takes place in an atmosphere of good hospitality. You're setting a model for them to love other people in a practical way. You, you create a place for the Holy Spirit to come and fellowship and discipleship goes on and, and uh, th- there's stuff that can really happen and, and you can be really touched. And for years to come, you can be touched. In fact, again, when we are in Russia, there were some famous American missionaries, uh, sorry, preachers who well, I guess they were missionaries in a part-time sense, but they were pastors of a big church in America. They felt God called them to have a, a crusade in St. Petersburg where we were uh, for 18 months, once a month. And uh, they, at their own expense, set up these big meetings. They'd fly. They'd not miss a Sunday in church. They'd fly out of America on Monday. They'd set up on Tuesday. They'd preach Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They'd finish, and then they'd get on a plane and be back in America. Billy Joe and Sharon Doherty, pastors of Victory Christian Centre, big church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we would go along and the people in the church that we were working with would support and often play the music for the 
services that they were having. And then on a Friday, at the last day of the whole week, he would have a lunch for the pastors in the city um, to gather. And sometimes the, um, sometimes the Russians were just a little distracted and they were getting a little bit territorial about their churches. And so at, at once, uh, Ruth and I went along to the lunch on the Friday afternoon. There's a long table set of food. No one else came. There's Billy, Joe and Sharon, these famous pastors, and they've been preaching all week and they've got to get on a plane a few hours. And then there's us, the young little missionary people from Australia. And we and I said to him, "Well, I, look, there's no one else here, Pastor. It looks like all the you know Russians are distracted or busy or whatever, and um, uh, and so we'll let you go because you you've got to rest up and get on a plane and go." And and he wouldn't have it. He said, "No, no, no. It's great. Come. We remember you. They'd met us a couple of times, but they said, come and sit down.' So there's this long empty table, and then at the end, just the four of us, and we sat there for hours, and they asked us questions and we downloaded because he was a real man of God, beautiful heart, great spirit and he's gone on to be with the Lord since then and uh, and, and here I am talking about it 20 plus years later, you know, and it still touched our hearts. We thought, man, this is what it is to be a man of God, a big, fancy, famous preacher but down with the little people, just talking real you know and sometimes people think oh yeah well they're all very good on tv but they're you know full of themselves or they got no time for anyone and and we thought no no this he's this is a godly couple and uh and she's still pastoring the church and um what a oh her son's taken over uh but we were really touched and so you can do that um and if in fact we're doing it next sunday we're all going to lunch somewhere but on any day and it's not just friends or family you know what Hebrews uh, 13.2 says? Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Come on, that's right there in the Bible. That's a freaky thought, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever had that, serving someone lunch, turn around, give them a coffee, <gasps> they're gone. Phew, you know. Maybe, who knows? Um. Now, you don't even need a home. You, you, don't need, you can show hospitality when you go camping, like a few young crazies did last weekend. Oh, we're going camping. We don't want a tent. We're not going to take anything. We're not just going to sleep out on the rock. And so off they go. But then Reuben, fortunately, is a sensible man who doesn't go light, carries his bed with him and a spare bed, And so in the middle of the night, I believe that one of the young men who said, no, I'll be fine, I've got a a towel. I won't mention his name. I won't mention the tall, blonde, good-looking, six-foot-two, rugby-playing man's name, who I happen to know very well. (laughs) But he said, no, Dad, I'll be fine. I'm taking a towel. I said, you're not going to the beach. You're going to camp out at night. It'll be cold. No, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then Hudson rang that night, and Hudson's the big, tough army guy that sleeps literally out on the ground without anything. And he and Hudson, I said, "Oh, they've gone camping." Oh yeah, what are they? Doing? I said, "Oh, Luke didn't take a tent or anything, sleeping bag, mattress." He goes, "Hang on, he didn't even take a sleeping bag." I said, "No." He says, "Oh, he's an idiot." <laughs> I said, "Oh, Hud, come on, don't say that about your little brother." He goes, "It's true. It's just true." He said, "Look." We'll only sleep without a sleeping bag if we're doing an exercise and we've got guns and we're all going to jump up. He says, but even if we don't have a mattress or a tent, we'll always have a sleeping bag because he says, it gets so cold. 
And I said, well, okay, you know, and sure, sure enough, Reuben came to the party. So Reuben shared his bed or one of his beds. He had some sleeping bag or extra stuff. And so good on you. There you go. Hospitality, a good loving. Now he goes on back to the Bible. Uh, verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So hospitality, love, that's for everybody. Yeah, practice. If you're no good at it, the Bible says practice hospitality. So love and practice hospitality. But now he's starting to get a little more specific. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So just stop there for a second. The fact is, as stewards or managers, we've got something that isn't essentially ours. You think it's yours because it's in your life, but God made you and he put it in you and it's from him by grace. And it's not just for you because he says use it as a manager and love people with it. So those gifts that you've got and a few really specifically, it could be an artistic creative gift, could be an organisational gift, you could be really uh, smart at at making money or helping other people get their finances together, it could be a hands-on practical gift so you're, you're good at fixing things building things, you're just a servant person that notices dirty things that need to be cleaned up and it's not a big deal for you. You've got a mercy gift, so you come alongside people when they're down hard and others don't seem to notice and you, you just give them the time and love and you don't mind that they talk on and on and on and on about something. Okay, that's not my gift, you can tell. So, uh, you know, and there's, of course, all of us should have, as we grow as Christians, these kinds of qualities in our lives and you read Romans chapter 12 and you've got the motivational gifts, gifts that are part of who you are, motivated in your personality. You've got spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit, nine of them listed in book of Corinthians and other places there's other gifts but all of us as we grow in maturity should develop these as qualities in our character but at the same time there'll still be some specifics that are stronger in us than others and so but the the attitude is the same. Use it to serve one another. And this is where people miss it. Because you think, if I'm doing something for someone else, it's no fun for me. This is the human condition. If I hang on to my life, it's going to be better. If I keep my money and keep my gift and work on what I want to have, that's going to make my life better. And it doesn't work. Because Jesus said, if you lose your life, that's when you find it. And some people never step out of the boat Try that and discover this wonderful life of giving, serving, living for God, living for others, living for a purpose beyond yourself. And it's so much more rewarding. Parents are kind of forced into it, really. You know, you just have kids and it's like, I've got to look after them. I've got to bless them. I can't live for myself anymore. And so Amanda and Stuart, you know, they're learning that Blake doesn't just give them options. So no, mum and dad, sorry, I'll be fine tonight. Now you go out to the restaurant. It's okay, I'm, I'll, it's just me and my bottle, the telly, got the remote, I'll be fine. <laughs> he doesn't do that, does he? He's like, wow, I'm a baby, look after me. Ah! It's like, oh, okay. But in doing so, again, parents, you look back and you think some of the best times you've ever had is with these little rat bags, I mean these cute little kids who, yes, sometimes are rat bags, but you love them and God's called you to love them. Well, God calls us to do the same and yet with other people. All of God's children, yeah? And so uh, we use it to serve one another, the gift that we've been given. And, um, and then he says specifically in uh, verse 11, whoever speaks 
as one who speaks oracles of God. Well, that sounds funny, doesn't it? Because you think, well, that's just little old me talking. As the New Living says, as though God himself was speaking through you. You think, oh, well, that sounds a little bit rich, doesn't it? I mean, who do you think you are? You know? Well, it's not necessarily pride, and hopefully it's not pride at all. It, it is an awareness and a confidence that something happens when you preach and speak about and through and with God's word. And, uh, and, uh, and, and stuff happens. Faith rises. The Bible says faith comes by hearing the word of God. People get spoken to. There's power that, that can shift and change things in our lives, that challenges us to change things. And I, I don't know how many times I've had people say, you know what you said? That, cha- that was amazing. What you said really spoke to me when you said da 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 And I think, I didn't talk about that. I had no idea I said that. I don't think it was in my notes. I really don't think I said that. And yet God uses a humble, teachable, submitted, hungry heart and someone who's preaching the word half decently, and there's something that connects the two. And you go, wow, God's spoken to me. Oh, and that confirms that decision. I was thinking about doing this, and now I know it's God. Or the, I'm not going to do that, or I'm going to watch that issue or relationship or shift that. And, and so God speaks to us through the preaching. And if you're a preacher or you're speaking or you're sharing in your connect group or witnessing to someone don't just say, oh, well, look, it's only my opinion, but, you know, I found that Jesus saved my life and if you, you wouldn't go to hell and it kind of might help you go to heaven sort of a bit, just like, you know. No, you speak confidently. Hey, Jesus has changed my life. He can change yours. And the Bible says, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes before God except through him. That's in the Bible. I'll show it to you. you know, and you have confidence as though God was speaking through you. And you've all heard the story. Well, not you haven't all heard the story. If you're visiting, you'll have to come back. Every week for the rest of your life. And eventually, I don't say when, but one day you'll hear the story. The amazing story. I'm not even going to say what the story is. But there's a, no, no, Ruth shared once with a guy out in the bush who was just, you know, staring at the trees, worshipping the rocks. And Jesus quoted, I think it was John 14, 6, just a verse of scripture to him. And he said it just rattled in his brain for months and months and months. He ended up getting born again and getting his life right before God. And then tragically dying at the age of 22. But he went to heaven. And, um, and But that's only a bit of the story. You've got to keep coming back get the whole one. Um, and so there's power in the word of God. Listen to what Paul says in, to, um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, when you received the message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. And so if you believe, if you're willing to put your trust in God and in people, what they're saying is something from God, then that'll bless you. And then he talks about serving. Whoever serves, serve with the strength that God supplies. And I talked about that different gifts and some people have got a gift of service to do things that might seem kind of unimportant but in the big scheme of things it all adds up it blesses people that little act of kindness that maybe others find harder than you and you have a real gift of serving vacuuming the floor or straightening the chairs in church or helping someone out in the neighborhood or your friends you know making chocolate brownies when the neighbors move in or little acts of service like that can um can really speak to people and bless them and why 
Why do all this? The last verse that we'll look at in this passage today, because it says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, and to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And so this is what it's all about. We, we say this often, that our main vision in life and as a church is to bring glory to God. That's what we're here for. And if you're living with that in the back of your mind, even better in the front of your mind, if you're thinking, is this bringing glory to God? Am I living to glorify God? Is this blessing God? Is this making a difference to God, to his kingdom, to his purposes in my service? Am I, you know, building, working, praying, loving, forgiving, acting, thinking, planning, or everything I do to bring glory to God? Then that's going to bless you as well as other people. We hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.